following recording may or may not include instances of words being said that the FCC would find me for if their long arm could ever reach. It's Thursday, May 30th, 2019. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. There is flooding in Arkansas, but how much flooding? NBC News went with the pool metaphor. At the Keystone Dam, the Army Corps of Engineers trying to manage the water by increasing the flow to the equivalent of 180 Olympic-sized swimming pools a minute. Ah, Olympic swimming pools. Now I can get my mind around it. I can easily visualize how much water it takes to fill an Olympic swimming pool. I've done it myself many times with a garden hose. Thanks, NBC News. But you know, if it's 180 Olympic swimming pools per minute. Well, QABC. Flooding from here in Oklahoma all the way down to Louisiana. Right now, they are pouring out enough water to fill more than three Olympic-sized swimming pools every second. That has already flooded hundreds of homes downriver. Yes, division by 60. That is why ABC is the most trusted name in news. Comparing fluids to Olympic swimming pools is the volume-based size of Belgium comparison. And as you know, I love it. But we should note that CBS did not make any reference to Olympic-sized swimming pools. So we are, technically speaking, at two Olympic-sized swimming pools per minute per network, which is a unit of volume divided by time over medium. And you thought I was going to get all exercised about some drapery over a battleship. No, that is my gift to you today. On the show today, I spiel about the life-affirming rescue of and the forehead-slapping thought processes of that missing Hawaiian yoga teacher. But first, Jim Shudo has had one of those multifaceted careers that sometimes peeks out as he's anchoring an hour on CNN. But normally, you just look at the guy and say, oh, okay, well-spoken newsman doing his newsman job. But Shudo's actually a policy expert, a former State Department official, and now the author of his second book about security issues, The Shadow War, Inside Russia and China's Secret Operations to Defeat America. Jim Shudo up next. Hey, listener, you may have heard via your earbuds, car stereo, smart speaker, or immersive shower sound system that podcasts are the future. We at Slate think so, too, which is why we are hosting Slate Day in New York City on Saturday, June 8th. The day starts with a performance by Ms. Cracker of RuPaul's Drag Race fame. We've got pop culture trivia where you can join Slate's own writers. A play date for kids organized by our parenting podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting and You Know Hit Parade, that podcast about the biggest hits in pop and music. They are going to have a dance party. Of course, we will have panels too, including mine, titled The Art of Podcasting with Mike Pesca. And these guests will include Manoush Zamarodi of ZigZag and Adam Davidson, who founded Planet Money, now has started his new podcasting venture with Sony. For tickets to this event, go to slate.com slash live. We'll see you on Saturday, June 8th. Klauswitz said 
politics is war by other means. But these days, we're actually experiencing war as war by other means, a new form of war that's more subtle, that's maybe hard to hear. But once you are attuned to it, you can't ignore it. It is, in fact, The Shadow War, which is the title of Jim Shudo's new book, The Shadow War Inside Russia and China's Secret Operations to Defeat America. Jim is the CNN anchor, and he's been the uh, chief national correspondent for many a network, right? That's right. Uh, National security, principally. Now, I know that Russia and China are the main subjects of the book, and you focus on those two as our most potentially uh, disruptive enemies. But I just want to challenge you right off the bat on terrorism and al-Qaeda. And is it really the case that Russia wants to kill Americans, that China wants to kill Americans? Because I know that many of al-Qaeda and ISIS adherents absolutely are trying to kill Americans. Well, I'll tell you, the, the thing about terrorism, right, is that that is a tangible cost that people pay, yes. right? You, people die. People get maimed. You see it. You see the blood. It happens, in, and it's it's in your evening evening newscast. And that's that's the nature of terrorism. That's how it's designed. To, that, that's both its goal and its method. But Russia and China, th- this is a global fight to not just kill Americans and score points and strike fear, but actually to surpass America, supplant yes. America as the world's greatest superpower outside of people's attention span, right? right? Russia has deployed what U.S. Space Command refers to as kamikaze satellites, maneuverable satellites that could run up to and ram, destroy our most essential space assets. China has that. They've also developed a, a kidnapper satellite, which has a grappling arm on it that could steal a satellite out of orbit. Do you remember Moonraker when we were kids? Sure. I mean, it's like a lot of, lot of jumpsuits, as, as of blowfield. Exactly. As often happens, you know, science fiction predicts the future. Now, why, why does that matter to us? Because, first of all, the U.S. military depends on satellite technology, smart bombs. It's how we navigate. Uh, it's how we direct the drones, you know, et cetera. A whole host of communication and, and weapons are dependent on that. China and Russia know that. They take out a few key ones and they could disable the U.S. military, right? You know, will, you know, military commanders talk about going back to, you know, civil war kind of battle plans if they don't have these tools because they come too dependent on them. So it's also happening under the waves. Submarines are the one area that Russians never pulled back on mm-hmm. after the fall of the Soviet Union. And they've deployed, I talk about this a lot in my subchapter here, two new classes of attack and missile submarines that are really damn good. Talk about Hollywood, not quite Hunt for Red October, but quieter. And, and when, it, when a sub's quieter and harder to track, it's easier to park off your coast and launch nuclear weapons. And that's why they pop up off of, off of Florida without warning to say, hey, guys, look what we could do. And you went to Dead Horse, Alaska to I did. investigate. And, and even further. You know, Dead, Horse, Dead Horse this time of year is almost as beautiful as the name implies. You know, I was just going to say, <laughs> when, when a place is called Dead Horse, you kind of yeah. know what you're going to get. I mean, that's, I think it's the northernmost occupied area in, in U.S. territory. So then we took a plane from there up to the Arctic, and we yeah. landed on the Arctic ice, and I hopped on a U.S. nuclear sub, attack submarine, as it was doing exercises where they play cat and mouse. They, they chase a Russian sub. It's a U.S. submarine playing a Russian sub mm-hmm. so that they can hone their skills to stay sharp in this battle. And of course, the Arctic, it, it's a growing battlefield in this global war because the ice is shrinking. Yeah. And makes the oil under those waves more accessible, yeah. brings the possibility of northern sea routes, etc. Let's talk about the uh, poisoning, uh, the attempted murder of the yes. Skripals, and also Litvinenko, mm-hmm. which uh, occurred over a decade ago. 
I understand we, we say Western soil. They're carrying out attacks on Western soil. They killed an English citizen. Terrible. Bad. On the other hand, just in terms of the real politic, they're going after their defectors. We probably do a similar thing to that. Do we? Do we, we? But we don't. We don't. We, we don't, don't know. We don't use, Maybe we're better at it. Well, I... There's no evidence that we, we have, have murdered we, this, defectors on foreign soil with, with a nerve agent or a radio, radioactive That's loaner, true. You know? We're good at catching them on our soil and putting them in a supermax prison in Colorado, which is safer for everyone and probably better according to the rules. Probably. But <laughs> these are, the, this, is, this is how a fading, grasping, wheezing empire tries to exert its control. Okay. And in general, it, it's, it's a terrible symbolic mm-hmm. thing. Does that represent a threat that could grow to the point where the average uh, English or American citizen could say it could be me next. Well, I'll tell you how the British look at it and how Europeans look at it because Skripal scared scared the bejesus out of them, okay? Novichuk not only killed uh, this poor woman and, and poisoned her boyfriend, but it poisoned a number of areas around the country. And I start the book with an anecdote speaking to, a, to an uh, intelligence source who said that they brought in enough Novichuk to kill thousands of people. They didn't have the intention to kill thousands of people, but all it would take would be, I don't know, tripping over your own shoestrings, yeah. right, to, to, in the subway to have poisoned many more. And that, that should scare us that they're willing to take that step. Would the Russians today say that was a successful mission? I mean, they got caught, they got sanctioned. What would they say? I think by it becoming public has scared the heck out of every other Russian dissident and former agent uh, of the KGB, FSB, anywhere in the world because they're going to be feeling, I'm not safe anywhere. And keep in mind, these methods are not just reserved for former agents who have gone the other way, journalists, opposition politicians, etc. And, and, and by the way, China has no qualms about killing its own people too. Yes, its own people. Now let's yeah. talk China for a second. It seems to me that their goal is to trade with the U.S. and just get the better of that deal. Am I looking at it in too sanguine a method? Yes, because they have greater aspirations. Mm-hmm. They, they look at, and I spent a lot of time in China, and, and this is not, uh, you know, this is in their public literature yeah. and editorials of state-run newspapers and public comments of, of their presidents and other officials they look at reclaiming their rightful place as a dominant, if not the dominant world power. The middle kingdom. Exactly. Living in the middle, in the center of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, that involves pushing the U.S. out of its way in some places and overtaking the U.S. in some places. That's the express goal uh, of this. And and it's driven by history. It's driven by a sense of victimization. Now, they, they get enormous benefits from trading with the U.S., but, but they play by completely different rules or no rules at all, including stealing everything they can, you know, from the U.S. And the one thing I will say about China versus Russia is that though Intel and national security folks, military folks will always put the two of them together at the top of the list, they will almost without exception say China is the bigger long-term threat because it is a rising power. Yeah. It has a strong economy. Its population uh, is growing. For it's got one. 1. Yeah. 1.6 billion people, yeah. right? And they're getting more educated. Yes. And they're skilled with technology. They're beating Six, us in some yeah, categories. Yeah, to compare yeah. China and Russia, 
does Russia have any, you know, global Fortune 500 firms? No. Right do, well, what do you and I buy from Russia? Do we yeah, buy a it car, used to be a TV? Lab. Yeah. That was the well, one thing. <laughs> and now that one, they've kind of killed Kaspersky because yeah. of, you know, this sense that it's it's a backdoor. Yeah. For, I guess uh, they're not selling submarines on the open market. Maybe I'd buy uh, a yeah, they do one. sell They do sell missiles to <laughs> countries like <laughs> Iran. I mean, you know, there, there's a reason but why. They use the Chinese auction sites. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I want to. Um, ask you about your career a little bit. You were, you took a break from journalism, essentially, and you worked for the U.S. government when Gary Locke was ambassador to China. Yes. How inflected was it by the politics of that particular administration? I mean, you're, it would be considered... Well, the ambassador is a political appointment, mm-hmm. right? Your job was also? It was not a Senate-confirmed appointment. Right, right. Um, it was what obviously was, what something. What was the official title? The, the official chief of staff. Yeah. Yeah. He called it chief of staff. I think they typically call it special assistant mm-hmm. if you sort of laid it out in the, in the government uh, services ranking. Um, no political role. Right. Uh, my, my focus was on, in fact, my focus was on human rights in China and trade issues. Yeah. And, and my goal was to, to get on the inside of this relationship. And, and what's interesting is that what, what has struck me is that the goals and priorities of Republican and Democratic administrations have been the same, right? Had. had well, yes, exactly. Although, listen, you know, Republican and Democratic presidents in the past always complained about Chinese trade cheating, yeah. stealing of state secrets. It's just that Trump has taken it, he, he's pushing back in a way that they were not willing to. Right. And, you know, and to be... To his credit. And also to be extremely fair... They were the same, but also parts of each party and maybe even equal parts were free trade, tariffs. So there was a lot of overlap between Democrats wanting protectionism and Republicans. It seems like, though, a difference is we used to at least give lip service, and I'd like to think it was more than lip service, to using the trading relationship to pressing human rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems out the window now. And just as a matter of real politics— were we getting anywhere with that anyway? You could rerun the experiment of the last 20 years. And if you took away the United States leadership, pressure, moral suasion, sanctions, all that on the human rights front, would the situation in China be worse? Mm, but for the United States interventions. Here's a consistent mistake that, that and, and I appreciate, and I say this at the top of my acknowledgments, I could not have written this book without the honest and, and, and often self-critical uh, analysis of folks who were involved in these decisions. Uh, Jim Clapper, former DNI, Michael Hayden, former CIA director, Ash Carter, former defense secretary, the former head of MI6, you know, folks who were in these administrations as they were making the decision saying honestly and self-critically, we didn't see this early enough. And that w- they, they repeat this mistake of mirroring that what the U.S., what U.S. Oh, leaders did yeah. and track. Europeans with both Russia and China through the years was imagining they wanted what mm-hmm. we wanted. How many right. times did you heard the thing, bring them into the, into the WTO, yeah. international organizations, they will change, they will democratize, make Russia a, a NATO partner, you know, security uh, partner. No, you know, the old saying, you know, no, no permanent allies, just permanent interests. And, and it took a long time for folks to break out of that false assumption. And so... That's part of the kind of lesson that, that is just being learned now is seeing what they really want and, and know them for what they are. It doesn't mean you have to go to war, yeah. but you have to know the adversary. In the book, you talk about how 
the United States openness has been used against us to some degree. I want to ask you a related question. It's about the character of the United States as a country, but the people. So you were living in China. Were your kids there? Yeah. And you're, you've been a foreign correspondent and your wife for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you do the thing where you say, oh, American kids or American people maybe have these values, and now we're living in cultures mm-hmm. with different values. What of the American character or American values are our greatest vulnerabilities with each of these rivals? Well, one is is our political division at home, mm-hmm. right? And and that particularly how divided it is right now. And, and you, you see Russia and, and China as well trying to drive a further wedge in there because that division serves their, that serves their interests. So if you're talking in the category of kind of self-inflicted wounds, um, that, that's one of them. In terms of, you know, broader issues, I mean, listen, open societies are easier to penetrate, right? Right. So open societies are also, we'd like to think, more resilient, you know, in terms of responding mm-hmm. to these things. And over time, we hope so. Uh, but in the current environment, when, when, when those open societies are so divided, it, it allows these guys to drive a truck, you know, through those divisions and take advantage of yes. it. The, the adversaries know us if we don't know them. Th- those are complimentary things about, yeah. I don't mean Jim Shudo's giving kudos to the <laughs> United States, but if you, I don't want this answer to be, you know, my biggest flaws are I, walk, I work too hard. If you were to do a real <laughs> assessment, are, are Americans not as tough as the Russians? Are mm. American kids not as hardworking and smart as the Chinese? Are we softer? I mean, these are things yeah. you hear. You've lived internationally. Is this a problem for us? One advantage of living overseas, I found in my own experience, is, is that one, I think in many ways, you, you can come to love your country more. Yes. Right? Yeah. That you you miss some things about it. You see some advantages for all the faults and all the warts and all. You see some things that we have that are, that are kind of nice, you know. But you also, with distance and perspective, see the faults, right? And sure, when, when I, I mean, we put our kids in a Chinese school. Okay, they were young. They were like two and four. Mm-hmm. But we, first of all, we want them to learn the language. And they started way earlier there than they would have here in like a real school that goes like nine hours a day. Okay, it wasn't like two hours in the morning, you know, playing with bricks. And I look at that and I was like, that's a pretty good investment in resources for a country, you know, get the kids early, that, that sort of thing. Now, on the flip side, some of those things can go, can go a little bit too far. I mean, there, there's a lot of high pressure situations there. And that's not to say we don't have that here, but I think in some ways we let kids be kids more. And that's kind of a nice thing too. Russia, it's not really going anywhere positive, right? Yeah. When, when you, when you travel around trend Russia, looking, the trend lines aren't looking good. Lines are they're not. not and I love, you know, in both these countries, I've had enormous positive experiences with people that you meet face to face, hospitality, warmth. You know, I remember being in, a, I was in I always remember this. I was in Russia during the Beslan. If you remember the Beslan, you know, this massacre at a yeah, school in about yeah. 2005. And I was in there. It was, Hundreds you know, there, killed, yeah. There, there, were, there, were, there were gunshots down the streets, whatever. And a Russian family took me in and we stayed there for two weeks. And I couldn't leave the house without stuffing my face. Right? I'll always remember that. And they had no business and they had bigger concerns than me. Yeah. And I had those experiences in China as well. I think that that's something to be conscious of is that when Americans, when we meet these folks, we should not look at the, the people by any means, is the enemy. And by the way, their governments have disdain for their own people. You know, that's the issue. Yeah. Jim Shudo's new book is The Shadow War, Inside Russia and China's Secret Operations to Defeat America. Spoiler alert, it's going pretty well for these guys. (laughs) Jim, great to meet you. Thank you. Good to meet you, man. (laughs) 
And now the spiel. Yoga instructor and physical therapist Amanda Eller was lost in the Hawaiian woods for 17 days and then found alive. You've probably heard of her story, maybe even heard a quote or two from her about never giving up. Like I say, she is a yoga instructor living in Hawaii during her press conference. She talked about her psychic and her shaman. So let's just say that peer-reviewed and double-blind studies don't play a strong role in her conception of the world. Spirit or whatever you want to pray to, I said, I, I just, I need your help right now. I need to get back to my car. Please help guide me. And I have, like I said, I have a strong sense of guidance. So I started following that sense of guidance. And that sense of guidance is what led me on my journey. That's what led me five miles away. And, and I believe that there is a bigger purpose to my story. It's not just a girl that got lost in the woods. It's this. It's everything that's happening right now. At a certain point, early on, I would say, any belief in a higher power or signs or anything at all would have helped her. To have any purpose whatsoever, I'm sure, helped her survive in those situations. During the press conference that she held on Tuesday, four days after she was rescued, she talked about one of the things she believed in. This was probably day 14 or something like that. And I said, okay, two weeks, you know, and, and I'm looking at numerology and every day I'm thinking like, okay, today's the day, like number 14, what is that significant for? I just had such hope. Numerology, I don't know. Numbers, well, 14 is two weeks And that means it's something of a miracle that you're alive. Now, I want to say it's easy to get into a totally cynical mindset. It's easy for me, how I see the world, to get into a totally cynical mindset about Amanda Eller because of the way she sees the world. Yes, yes, credit due. She persevered. But she also put herself in a precarious position and used up physical, monetary, and emotional resources of authorities and loved ones. I will acknowledge All the experts say it's really, really easy to quickly become disoriented in a thick wooded area. I also know that whatever gratitude or understanding of her circumstances might not set in at this early juncture. We're less than a week from her being rescued. Third, I will acknowledge this about myself, that Eller's phrases and belief systems causing me such a degree of eye rolling that I am in danger of wandering into a wall, if not a forest. I've been working with a lot of um, the the strongest teachers in the world have come to me over the last six months um, to help guide me in a variety of ways. And little did I know they were preparing me for what I what I'm calling spiritual boot camp, which is what I went through. And um, and Ruth recently, uh, the psychic I've been working with, she, she knows she guided me through this meditation. I bet the psychic didn't see this one coming, huh? And spiritual boot camp? And no sense in going home. Next time, bring your damn cell phone. Look, I am glad Amanda's alive. I give her credit for perseverance. You can't blame a person for being disoriented. You can blame a person for not taking proper precautions, like leaving the cell phone back in the car as she did, but that's a mistake, and we all make mistakes. My problem is with Eller's worldview. Her worldview got her lost as much as any of these relatable human failings are just bad luck. Her worldview literally stuck her in that forest because she incorrectly viewed the world. She assessed the terrain about her incorrectly. Her view of the world was skewed because of her view of the world. 
I don't, I don't really know what happened. All I can say is that I got out of my car. It's like, you know, I, I have a strong sense of internal guidance, whatever you want to call that, a voice, spirit, who everybody has a different name for it, heart. Um, my heart was telling me, walk down this path, go left. Great. No, it wasn't. You were trusting whatever you call it, your spirit, your voice, Gaia, the force. Let me suggest... Another name for it, a misperception, or to be somewhat more technical, neurons in the hippocampus that weren't doing their job. And Eller's neurons in her hippocampus weren't as strong as she thought they were. But this is the confounding part. She still thinks that her process was the correct one. This is the result that needed to happen from my experience. It needed to happen for this experience. All your anguished family, all your heartsick friends, your boyfriend who took a lie detector and was questioned by police who correctly investigated him for foul play, and the boars. Now we get to the boars. The wild boars in this forest in Hawaii were her spirit animals. You know, again, I- I'm guided, so there were times where I would see a very nice-looking boar den where I'm like, that might keep me warm, and I got a message like, don't go in there. Um... So it's interesting, you know, this is the Chinese New Year. This is the year of the boar. I'm a boar. And so I'm like finding myself sleeping in boars' homes. And they're like, they were trailblazing for me. The only reason that I, without shoes and socks and any kind of like armor on, and my ankles were already tore up, it was like me following boar paths to their boar dens to sleep for the night. Mm hmm. A note on that respect for the boars. This comes from the New York Times. Rescuers, quote, killed aggressive wild boars and checked their intestines for human remains, at least one volunteer was attacked by a boar. I'd have maybe checked the sleepy and satiated boars, not the aggressive boars, for Eller's remains. But the point is, a trail of boar entrails is testament to the self-proclaimed boar, Amanda Eller's respect for boars. She also expressed respect for her rescuers. I say this as warning to them. Look, I don't really care about the boars. I had pork last night, and I feel a little bad about my thoughts and feelings towards Eller. They're probably disproportionate to whatever she did, which is make a mistake and justify it in retrospect. I don't want to call her terrible or horrible. It is great that she lived. I really believe that. She has some impressive survival skills. She has some frustrating critical reasoning skills. It is only days after her rescue. Maybe in time, she will realize that she's being a woo-woo guru when the better explanation is just she made a bad decision, plus perseverance, plus a lot of luck. Maybe I'm being too hard on Eller. Blair Braverman, who wrote a memoir about her time dog sledding, tweeted, I'm so happy for Amanda Eller and livid at the trolls coming out of the woodwork to suggest that she needs what? Better hiking skills? What cruel, ignorant criticism? This woman's skills, perseverance, and presence of mind are astonishing. My heart goes out to her and her family. You know what happens when women go hiking alone? They're fucking powerful. That's what happens. All right, maybe I'm being sexist. Maybe Amanda Eller, as an example of a powerful woman hiker, isn't the best, but maybe I'm being sexist. Maybe it's wrong to say that you should take your GPS-enabled cell phone with you on a potentially disorienting hike. Maybe I'm being too harsh. But maybe not. Because days after Eller went missing, 
another Hawaiian hiker also disappeared. Well, those same rescuers are turning their attention to missing Maui man Noah Kikaimina. And the specific rescuers who had spent weeks occupied with Eller next began searching for Mina. At the press conference that Eller had, she disclosed that she knew Mina's sister. She met her through her shaman. And she also used the time to say a prayer through the microphones, apologizing if anyone was uncomfortable. I'm sending a prayer out right now. Um, Great spirit, angels, teachers, guides, helpers of the light and only of the light. And I'm asking with all of these hearts and all of these beautiful people behind this prayer today that we reach Noah, that we are able to, to touch his heart to help him in this moment of confusion, to find clarity for his life, his purpose, his self, to find the love within himself to stay alive, to find the love within himself to stay alive for his family, for his community, for his child. That prayer was not heard. Noah Kikai Mina's body was found yesterday. It is a fascinating element of the human condition that no matter what stimulus we encounter, it almost always confirms our presuppositions. So here you have Amanda Eller, who believes in what she believes in, who does not recognize that some of her beliefs got her in trouble, even if another set of those beliefs looked at a different way, got her out of trouble. She claimed that she was telepathically communicating with her boyfriend while she was lost in the woods, and she claims that it's all part of her journey that will lead her to healing other people in anguish. There is one tangible, positive takeaway from all of this, and it's that Eller said in the future she will take her cell phone with her when she hikes. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader produced the gist. They will both be washing away the sins of the workday this evening in a bathtub that fills at a rate of one ten thousandth of an Arkansas river per second. TJ Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcast. Sometimes in the morning, when she loses her keys, she disembowels a wild boar, as is her custom. The gist. You know, Jim Shooto once starred in a version of Les Mis, also starring a renowned Puerto Rican boy band. The variety headline? Shooto Menudo earned Victor Hugo kudos. It really says it all. Hooperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening.